Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says in truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left through glory and honor. And he says dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. And then it says in Psalms 101 in the Living Bible, and I believe King David spoke for God when he declared, I will make the godly of the land my heroes. And Fred Smith said, a society that writes his diary by naming its heroes. And I just for a few moments want to talk to you about Saturday afternoon heroes. What is a hero? A hero is not an Italian sandwich. It's not a Cape Crusader or a new brand of men's cologne. A hero, one author puts it this way, is someone that has given their life to something bigger than themselves. They took um, a survey recently, George um, Gallup, and there were young people between the ages of 13 and 17, and over 50% of teenagers said, I don't know any adult I'd like to model my life after. What does that mean? Well, it's a tragic statement. We, we all need role models. We all need mentors. We all need heroes. Heroes shape our lives. Heroes help define our character. Heroes help clarify our values. I had a lady come up to me several years ago, and she pointed her finger in my face. She goes, Donnie Moore, you need to do a poster, and you need to have all your guys on the poster and breaking bricks and ripping uh, phone books and tearing license plates and all the feats of strength. And I said, well, I don't want to draw attention to myself. You're not drawing attention to yourself. And she pointed her finger in my face. She said, my son is going to hang someone on his wall. And I don't want him hanging all these crazy groups that are demonic. I want to put a picture of a man of God. Do you understand me? I said, yes, ma'am. So we did a picture of all the team. And I don't know how many posters we've done over the years, but I've signed and put Bible scriptures on them. A guy came up to me. He's about 40 and he said, Donnie, he said, I still have the poster that you signed when I was a kid. And my question, uh, why do you still have it on your wall? You're 40. But <clears throat> I was thinking about the difference between heroes and celebrities. There's a big difference. Because celebrities, they make an impression. They are all over everything. Heroes, they make an impact. They make a difference. See, a lot of people are famous for doing nothing. Isn't it amazing today? We esteem someone to be a hero if they can capture media's attention. And they looked at heroes. It's fascinating to me, 50, 60 years ago, and it was Winston Churchill, Jonas Stock, the conqueror of polio, uh, Martin Luther King or Helen Keller, Douglas MacArthur. Th those were cited as a generation of their heroes today. Like I said, the heroes are celebrities and athletes. And what does that say? Why does it surprise us that an athlete gets in trouble and commits a crime and everybody all of a sudden is surprised? When we take and we worship their talent it's if you can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour if you can hit a ball now at 
every home run, we got to know the distance and how fast they got out of the ballpark and, and people ooh and ah at the home run contest, at the all-star game, and how, how uh, uh, an individual can carry a football. And we take, like Darwin, who travels with me, growing up in, in high school, rushed for 1,500 yards three straight years in a row in high school as a running back. His teacher said, don't worry about your grades, just run that football. So when an athlete or somebody in our culture gets into trouble, we act appalled and shocked. But really, we, we've emphasized that to them all their life. We've emphasized that. Maybe if we did the other and emphasized character to them, I'm going somewhere with this. You see, when you start thinking about when we praise you for your talent, it, it can cause you to to be uplifted, to, to have an ego, to be proud. But when we praise you for your character, it humbles you. I watched a young man walk across a locker room several years ago and pick up a pornographic magazine, walk across and throw it in the garbage. No one was in the locker room, but I watched him do that. Afterwards, I said, man, why did you do that? He said, I have three little girls. I never forgot the impact of, of him doing that and talking about his three girls and how it disturbed him that that was in the locker room and the character for him to do that. So when, when you praise an athlete or any individual for their character, it, it humbles all of us. But when we praise you for your talent, that's God-given. Thank God for the talent he's given us. But we have a culture that now looks at people and we lift them up with their giftings and their talent. And if you're not careful, your talent will take you to places where your character doesn't sustain you. And that's the problem we have in our culture today. And so it's like, for an example, you take the stages of fame in our world. And we say things like, okay, take Brad Pitt. And the first stage is, who is Brad Pitt? The second stage is, is that Brad Pitt? The third stage is, that's Brad Pitt. The fourth stage is, who's Brad Pitt? So what happens is, it's because of our culture, you can be famous for doing nothing. So people now are trying to get reality shows, trying to capture media's attention for their, what, 15 minutes of fame. So we esteem someone now to be a hero or somebody to be in the public eye because they can do something to capture media's attention. Second Corinthians in chapter 6, Paul said, we are unknown yet well-known. There are some things in life that are impossible. You can't have a straight, crooked road. How does that happen? Well, what he's saying here is unknown yet well-known? What, what does that mean? Well, we don't live this life alone. There's more to our living than what you can see with your natural eye. There's more than what you're watching, perhaps, from another vantage point. I was doing a youth convention in Canada. We went out to eat after the morning session, and I saw all these Norman Rockwell paintings on the wall. And I'm just fascinated by Norman Rockwell because he could capture more than you could see with just the naked eye. He could capture a moment, a feeling, intensity of that moment, and bring it to life. And if you watch, you know, or been around for any period of time, some of you are like, Google Norman Rockwell and, and Norman Rockwell and look at some of the, the, the way that he painted things. And the, the one picture that day that really attracted and 
drew my attention was two boys on a vacant lot. At the bottom, it was written, Saturday Afternoon Heroes. And the larger boy was fumbling the football because the little guy was hitting him in the midsection, and the little guy had a big smile on his face, and the big guy had a grimace look because he was not able to hold on to the ball. And I was looking at that picture, and I was thinking about growing up. We moved from Virginia to California, and we lived in Hayward, and there was a vacant lot that we would go up and play football on. And we had this game where if it was just two of us, one of us would run with the ball, and we'd try to tackle him. And, and Mike Flores was the guy with the ball, and he was the biggest kid on our block. As a matter of fact, like when he was in fourth grade, he already had facial hair. When he was in fifth grade, not only shaving, but he had grown a beard. And uh, much like Pastor Stans, but it wasn't great. But he had this beard. Dime was in sixth grade. He was driving to school. Mike Flores was so mean that he used to use mace as breath freshener. He was the meanest kid on our block. He was the biggest kid on our block. And nobody could tackle him, especially me. So he would get the football, and I would stand there, and I would just run into him as hard as I could, bounce off him. He'd run by me. I would even step aside, jump on his back, and try to ride him and tackle him, and I'd just eventually fall off his back. Mike was stronger, faster, and tough. But there came a day when I decided to go low. And I got down as low as I could, and I hit him just above his kneecap with my right shoulder, and that day I tackled Mike Flores. I mean, even though he's laying on top of me, I'm like, yes, I tackled Mike Flores. As much as out of love, the bleachers to be full, the fans yelling, I wish there was a band who had been playing. I wish I had a coach because he'd have called timeout. And he'd have said, that's the greatest tackle I've ever seen. But there was no coach, and there were no bleachers, and there was no stands, and there was no fans, and there was no band. There was no cheerleaders. It was just Mike and I in a vacant lot. Now I'm looking at that picture, Norman Rockwell's picture, and I'm thinking about that scripture. And I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Known, yet unknown. Unknown, but well-known. And those words, I'm trying to figure them out. And I was thinking about so often in life, we, we do things for people to give us the right compliment, or we do things so they'll be seen by people. And I realize that some of life's greatest challenges, some of life's greatest victories, some of life's greatest battles, some of life's greatest achievements are not accomplished for everyone to see. Every time we're faced with a tough decision, what are we going to do for God? I wish the bleachers were full. I, I, I wish there were fans yelling. But there's nobody that we can see that's cheering for us that we're going to see with a natural eye. What you are is not judged when the bleachers are full. Known but unknown. Known by God, unknown to the world. Known by God, yet unknown to the world. We just a few weeks back had the All-Star game. And usually we're doing camps, so I haven't seen an All-Star game in like 10 years because the way our camps are structured, that week we're away. But this week, uh, this last our camp fell in between, so the All-Star break 
was after our first camp, we take a week off, and so I got to see it. It was amazing because they had the pageantry, the home run contests. They put these guys up on these stages, and I was watching as players were introduced. They even had the four living legends. They had, in some of you that are baseball fans, Johnny Bench. They had Hank Aaron, Hammering Hank, Willie Mays, and Sandy Koufax walk out, and you're just looking at these legends and talking about the all-stars and their numbers and Hall of Famers. Uh, and I was watching the way these guys were elevated. I started thinking if God had an all-star team, you know, maybe Mother Teresa would be leadoff hitter and play shortstop. Mark Buntain might be up on the bump pitching that day. And you can go through history and look at the people that really have had an impact, not only in our world, but really individually in your life. I have 12 guys in my Bible study on Tuesday, and I asked the question, and I said, who in your life do you know, someone in your life that has the most courage? And, and one guy raised his hand, he talked about his brother who's handicapped, who's in a wheelchair, that slides himself out of the wheelchair and he lays tile for a living. He said, not only is he my hero, he's the most courageous person I know. Uh, another guy raised his hand in the back, and he talked about his grandfather, how that he was incorrigible. And his mom and dad didn't know what to do with him after they had gone through a divorce, so they sent him to live with his grandfather. And he talked to me about how and the guys in the room, his grandfather. How many know behind every face is a story? And when you start thinking about the people that had the greatest influence in your life, it's not going to be necessarily a professional athlete or an entertainer. It's people. People that sometimes don't get the recognition they should, or, but in your life, in your life, they're the ones that made the difference. You know, I read in Hebrews 11, it's called, the Faith Hall of Fame, and it says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And it tells a story, by faith, Enoch, his story, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham. When God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and it just talks about their stories. And then verse 32, it says, what more shall I say about Barath and Samson and Jephthah? No story, just names. And you read in Hebrews chapter 11, a little further along, and it says, and there were others. And it just fascinates me, and there were others. No story, no name. I started thinking about, like, in high school, the big game is played on Friday night. Saturday night, they usually play for the national championship in college football. The pros play on Sunday. But who plays Saturday afternoon? Saturday afternoon heroes. Norman Rockwell got it right. That picture that he painted is so prophetic in so many ways. No lights, no bleachers, no band, no cheerleaders, no coaches. Two people, two young men. And the Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I, I understand that there's this huge in the fear of my mind 
arena in which they're looking down in this earth, those that have gone before us, but you can't see them with a natural eye. You can't hear them with a natural ear. But, but they are there. And sometimes in life, put it in the perspective that God has a who's who the world's never seen. When I was in high school, I, I uh, went out for football, and they put me at defensive back, and I wasn't very good. And my sophomore year, I was throwing a football in a PE class, and a teacher walked by, saw me throwing the football, and said, you should go out for the football team. I didn't want to tell him I'd been out, you know, my freshman year. You know, he really didn't know who I was because he coached varsity. He was a history teacher. And Mr. Becker said to me, I'll, I'll get up with you. If you will, in the morning before school, I'll meet you in the gymnasium, and we'll play catch. So I got up the next morning before school early, went to, to the gymnasium, and there he was with a bag of footballs. And Mr. Becker and I would play catch. He, he would give me drills and, and teach me release points. And, you know, and I just would play catch. And he would speak into my life. I learned from Mr. Becker that the secret to your future is hidden in your daily routine. I, I learned from Mr. Becker that men don't decide their future, their habits do. So every day I had a habit to go there to train. I, I worked hard, and then my junior year, I went out for football. I made the varsity. I led the HLN passing. My senior year, I was a high school All-American. God had called me in college into the ministry, Christian Cross America, speaking to thousands and thousands of young people at the time, but yet going back to my high school and lecturing. It was in the 90s that I went back the first time I got to the end of the assembly, standing ovation, but I didn't see the standing ovation. I saw Mr. Becker with a big smile on his face. He's standing there in the bleachers. He walks out of the bleachers because I looked at all the students and said, it's great being here today, but Mr. Becker, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for you. He walked up to me and he hugged me. And when he hugged me, he said, Donnie, this year I was gonna quit. This year I was gonna give, I'd given up on students. He said, I can't quit now. Thanks for coming back today. I said, Mr. Becker, you can't quit. I said, there's another Donnie Moore you need to reach. You know, it's funny. His son just got two years ago the head coach in San Ramon High School football. And Mr. Becker had written me a letter and said, you know, Donnie, he said he needed a freshman coach. So after 30, almost nine years of coaching, Varsity football, he's back now coaching freshmen at San Ramon High School and loving kids and reaching out to make a difference. Every summer we get a check. He pays for two young people to go to our summer camp. And on occasion he drives up to camp. He emails me once a month, encourages me, and always ends the letter with, believe in you, always have Coach B. Another man that really influenced me was Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith in Niles Canyon in Northern California owned a furniture store. But he would go to Douglas Street and pick up kids and take them to Sunday school. My friends, three of them, would go on a regular basis. And one day, Bobby Williamson invited me. I asked my dad. My dad let me go. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but my dad would allow me to go so Mr. Smith would pick us up on the corner. We would be wrestling in the back of his car. 
making spitballs, hitting one another in the head, killing flies, put them in the church hymnals. I mean, we would go to a Sonia Sue class. Sometimes I'd listen, sometimes I would not. But he gave an invitation. And when he gave the invitation, I remember it like it was yesterday about how to receive Jesus Christ. But I didn't pray the prayer, nor did I respond that day. After Sunday school, he would say, do you want to stay for church? I'd say, no, I need to go home. He would take me home. He would come back to church. I probably went maybe six times. The time I got into high school, there was no more church for me. Sports were my God. Junior higher, when he picked us up. Now I'm in college, overdosed on steroids, coughing blood up in a dorm room. And one night I went to a shelf and I opened the Bible and I said, to Donnie Moore, all the answers to life's questions are in this book. Gene Smith. Gene Smith led me to Christ 11 years later. After I finished the school assembly, I found out where he was living, went to his house, knocked on the door. He opened the door. He's standing there. I said, Mr. Smith, you probably don't remember me. He looked at me and smiled. He said, oh, I remember you, Donnie. He said, um, I'm so proud of what you're doing in the ministry. I've heard great things. I said, can you come to our night meeting? He did, along with Mr. Becker. That night when I give the invitation, 120 students walk forward. I remember looking at Mr. Smith and Mr. Becker in the audience, and they both were weeping. You see, Mr. Becker will never be invited to write a book about his legendary coaching. He will never be on ESPN or grace the cover of Sports Illustrated, but he'll always be a hero to me. Mr. Smith will never speak at a general conference. He'll never be on TBN. He'll always be a hero to me. Someone asked me, they said, Donnie, why do you keep going into schools and, and breaking bricks and doing fits of strength? Young people today already have enough heroes they can't touch. And some people they don't understand the feats of strength. When you're breaking a brick or tearing a license plate in half or rolling up a frying pan, those young people are looking at you like you're bigger than life. And when you finish the assembly, they just want to come up and talk to you. They just want to touch you. They, they, they want you to give them a hug. They, they, and it's so funny is that when I go to the visitor side with the Okanes, I speak to the Okanes, I speak to the visitor's team, and then I speak to the umpires. I'll walk in, they, hey, big man, you going to roll a frying pan up today? If you do, I'll come to chapel. It's so crazy to see Pedro Martinez go in the Hall of Fame and realized that I was rolling the frying pan up one time and I broke the handle and it broke and, and it hit him right in the head. And I thought, it wouldn't be good if he got hurt today and I was really kind of freaked out about it. A ripping a phone book and Steve Sparks, the Milwaukee Brewers, jump up and try to rip the phone book and dislocate his shoulder. 
finally I had to tell these professional athletes, don't try this at home. <laughs> but the look on their face, and I always realize, and Dean will tell you this, inside them there's a little boy. And the feats of strength are just a tool that God has used to open doors for me to walk through. And when you touch someone's life, there's nothing like it. And I learned so much more from some of these young people than the lessons along the way. I learned from this kid in Marysville, California, what it means to be nice to people. Someone that traveled with me for years, they said, what is Donnie Moore like? And he said, he's nice to people. My mom taught me that. My mom said, Donnie, it costs nothing to be nice to people. But we were doing a school in Marysville, California. At the end of the assembly, what happens is a lot of the popular kids want to talk to you first. And the kids that are hurting will stand off to the sides. This particular day, there was a kid standing against the wall. He had a blue jacket on. His hair was uncapped. He was just watching me. And so I was making my way over to him, and I was talking to students, and I didn't want him to leave. I just kept making sure he was still there. And so finally, I broke away from the other students. I walked over, and I put my hand out. I said, hi. I said, I'm, I'm Donnie. He said, I know. He said, I'm Pat. I said, Pat, good to meet you. It was a Thursday. We had a Friday, Saturday night meeting, and I invited him to the Friday night meeting. He said, I can't come to the Friday night meeting. He said, I, uh, I'm on the, the basketball team. I said, you're a basketball player, Pat? He said, no. He said, I'm the team manager. I said, what does the team manager do? He goes, well, I hand out towels, and I cheer for the guys really loud and, and give them water. He said, they, they really need me. I said, that's cool. And with a smile on his face, he said, this year I get my varsity letter. He said, I'm a, I get my letter jacket. He was so proud to get his letter jacket. I said, that is awesome, Pat. He said, I'd like to come to the meeting. I said, well, we have a Saturday night meeting. Can you come to that? He said, yeah, I think so. He said, what are you doing during the day? I said, well, you know, we're going to work out sometime during the day, and we have the night meeting. He said, can I take you to lunch? I gave him the number to the hotel. wondered if he'd call at 930 in the morning, my phone rings in the hotel, and it's Pat. You ready for lunch? <laughs> I remember him telling me he was going to take me to the best restaurant in town as the worship team comes, and I'm winding this down. I'm doing well. I said, what's the name of the restaurant, Pat? He said, Hot Dog Junction. I'm thinking the best restaurant in town, Hot Dog Junction. Terry's 300 pounds on our team, and he can eat 21 hot dogs in one setting. His record is seven whole chickens. Actually, he says eight, but I've watched him eat seven. Terry um, is 300 pounds in the morning before breakfast, 307 after breakfast. We actually were banned in Modesto, California from all you can eat restaurant because of Terry. 63 chicken legs. The manager was going to feed us all week as we did the schools, and finally, after one lunch, he said, I can't feed you guys, leave. So, <laughs> true story. Pat, 
was taking us to Hot Dog Junction. He pulled up in this go-kart, the smallest car I've ever seen. I, didn't, I don't know what it was, but I was trying to figure out how we can get in there because he was persistent that we had to go with him. I'm thinking, why do we all have to go with him? I mean, we can drive our own car, we can go with us. And No, I want to take you guys. And I found out later why. See, in Northern California, in Marysville, California, there's this hot dog stand and you go inside of it and all the kids hang out and play video games. 66-year-old Jewish lady, she had a greater vision for the youth of her city than any youth pastor. She ran Hot Dog Junction. She had pictures of the kids on the wall, yearbooks on the table. Every school in the area emblem on the wall behind the ice cream counter. She made those kids feel like they were important. And, you know, video games, I, I'm not big into them. I'm not really against them. But if you're 18 to 25 and you're really good at a video game, I have one word, unemployed. <laughs> I told my son, I said, listen, don't fear failure. Fear being successful at things that don't matter. Amen, brother. Preach it. That was a really good point. My son needed to hear that. Say it again. I said, don't fear failure. Write this down. Fear being successful at things that don't matter. And there are certain things that don't matter. I don't want to get off topic any longer. But I was playing the video games along with everybody else at Hot Dog Junction. We were having a blast. It was 430 it's Saturday afternoon. We got a night meeting. I jump up on a chair. I said, hey, Jay and our boga, we're going to be there tonight. You guys coming? All the kids, yeah. Like 70 kids are in this place. Yeah, we're coming. I jump off the chair. I turn to Pat. I said, Pat, you coming? He said, oh, yeah. He said, bring him a dad. Bring him a brother. He goes, I never met my mom. I don't know who my mom is. He goes, but my dad and my brother will be there. He said, and I'll be there. That night, the building filled up. Fourth row back on the left side said, Pat, his dad and brother. When I gave the invitation, well over 100 students came forward. But I saw Pat, his dad and brother, all standing at the altar, tears running down their cheeks. That's the custom. Dean has done this many times with me. I have... Dean at the front and Terry Darwin and I said Dean's going to raise his hand we're going to follow Dean and all the altar follows Dean into a back room and they all get Bibles we get their names and I'm standing out there in the front and I'm walking across the platform to get my Bible and when I feel this tug at my shirt and I turn around and it's Pat He said, thanks for being nice to me. People are not usually nice to me. And then he gave me the biggest hug. And I fog up every time I tell this story. My allergies are acting up, and he's hugging me, and I'm... And then he pulls away with a big smile. He said, today was the happiest day of my life. 
And I thought, all I did was spend an afternoon with a kid at a hot dog stand. It's the happiest day of his life. Doesn't take much, does it? We were loading up that night. We we're getting ready to leave Marysville. And I turned to everybody in the van. I said, what day is it? And they said, Donnie, it's November the 19th. I said, no, what day is it? Someone said, it's Saturday. I said, if it's all we are, it's Saturday afternoon heroes to the patch of this world. That's who we'll be. That's been my philosophy. What these guys, and they'll tell you. Every assembly we stay to the last student. Every night to the last brick is signed. Nobody leaves. And of course, Karen Russell is one of the most efficient individuals I know. And so I ask her to take time and write down some Saturday afternoon heroes. So just give me about four minutes. When I read, if you're a part of this ministry, would you, would you stand? Hebrews Cafe, coffee, donuts. By the way, whoever made my basket, what service you've been in, you guys... Every year I come to the hotel, there's a basket, and I read the beautiful note. Always so encouraging. The welcome team, the greeters, you can't get through that lobby without getting greeted at least 22 times. Connection center, ushers, parking, bus drivers. If you're one of these, please stand. Tech team, sound, video. Projection, cameras, PowerPoint, operator, lights, directing. Children's and youth ministry, teachers, aides, small group leaders, worship team, check-in desk, event staff, nursery workers. The many worship teams, Tom. All of you. Community care. Five areas of emphasis, public schools, youth mentoring, poverty, sex trafficking, single parents, backpack buddies, lunch buddies, reading buddies, back to school night barbecue, lots of love, food, gift drive, single parent, night out, cleanup, carnival, lantern walk, Am I getting to some of you yet? You should be standing up. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Women's ministry, men's ministry, schools, classroom aids, events, arts, athletic help, school store, field trips, learning center, singles ministry, life groups, leaders and hosts, celebration and low adult Bible class, open heart special needs class, fresh start, new believers follow up, mission teams, Adult and youth, pastoral care, visitation and meals, communion team, bulletin team, 
offering count team, pastors, prayer partners team, construction, yard work, moving, hauling, finance counseling, premarital counseling, those that have ministry to prisons, those that visit the shut-in, convalescent homes, reach out to the handicap, the misfortunate, those that have been given to intercessory prayer, that pray on a regular basis. Those that go on short-term missions, give to missions regular. You want me to go on? See, heaven, as a who's who, the world's never seen. Hollywood, they can give you the heroes. You can't watch an award show with every week. There's more awards and more. Let me give you heaven's heroes. And let me just look at you and say this. Many of you do what you do. And you don't do it because you want a pat on your back. You don't do it because, matter of fact, some of you are embarrassed. Some of you are not even standing because you're embarrassed. But you just serve. When my daughter, Brooke, came back from uh, Youth with a Mission, she said, Dad, I feel like I'm going to let you down because I'm not going to go to full-time ministry. I said, Brookie, what's your passion? What's in your heart? I said, you've always loved makeup. You love hair. She goes, I want to go to cosmetology school. I said, you pick the one you want to go to. She went to Paul Mitchell. Gladly paid for it. She cuts hair. She lays hands on people. I said, you are the cheapest psychologist and counselor that people could ever go to. Everybody is a full-time minister. We have different ways we get our paychecks signed. But everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a place that they serve. Could you stand with me, everybody? Would you stand? Let me just look you in the eye. I hope the phone rings at the church this week. And you say, where can I serve? Where can I help? You think Mr. Smith realized that when he drove to Douglas Street, that Bobby Williamson would be a pastor in Alabama? That Mike Flores would be a missionary in China? That Donnie Moore would speak to over 7 million students? And over 30,000 through his camp. And in a recent publication from a major, major athletic figure said, I have influenced in the last 25 years spiritually more players in the major league than anybody. Pretty humble. But there wasn't a Mr. Smith. You don't know who you're picking up and bringing to church. Dean was a bouncer raised without a dad. And a girl invited him. 
He walked into a church and he saw some guys breaking some bricks. And him being a bodybuilder was fascinated. And that night when I gave the altar call, Dean walked to the front. Dean would go with us, carry bricks, just serve. JP hurt his back. We're in Marin County. I walk over to Dean and I said, today, you need to put the uniform on. He just got back from Ireland last week. Preached the gospel and the projects. Doing feats in the open air. You never know whose life you're going to touch. Not that this is a commercial, but this is why I love this school that's here. I don't come here every January and speak because I don't have a place to go. <laughs> I love this school. I love the kids. Just like you stand for the second you're here, the first. I love these kids. They were all sitting in the front row last service. Gosh think they would come to see me. Most of them all graduated from high school. But we're all sitting in the back room after the second service. I mean, the first service. And I said, what are you doing now? And each of them went around the room and told me what they're doing. 